I'm so excited about this song. I don't know about y'all. It was so beautiful the other day. We were at work, and it was just coming through. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. So I love this song. Amen. Excited? All right. Just a few announcements today. Sunday, February 18th, immediately after service, all members are to meet up here for a brief um, um, announcement. So come on up. March 3rd, another baptism. You can register right on the church um, app or see Miss Robin if you need some assistance on that. Miss Robin's always helpful. Amen. Amen. And a new announcement, the Great Lakes uh, Regional Ladies Conference is going to be May 3rd to the 5th at Blue, Blue Gate in Shipshawana, beautiful place. And the information is on the back table over there. So make sure if you want any of that, you can grab that information. Or again, you can see Miss Robin if you need more information. Um, at this time, we're going to have Pastor come up with a special announcement. And may you all have a wonderful and blessed day. God bless everybody. Can y'all hear me all right? All right, very good. We are always glad to be here with you in our prayers uh, also with Sister McLaughlin right now and her family as, as they go through uh, yet another loss, but we are, are here with you and we love you and we wanted to uh, do this. This is a, a pride for me to do. We have a few people out today, but the person I need here is here. As you know, we've been doing membership courses and new member courses and things like that, and God's been blessing and, and adding quite a few new members to our church, uh, and we're, we're grateful for that. Had a bunch out sick, but this one's, this one's a little bit different. Um, I, myself, am a musician, and as a musician in, in churches, oftentimes musicians never join the churches in which, uh, <laughs> in which they serve, and there's a multiplicity of reasons for that, uh, but every now and then, I always said as a musician, I would want to be uh, the pastor that a musician would love to say, I want to be a part of your church and treat them in such a way, and with that being said, we have somebody who's quiet. He doesn't say much, uh, but he decided that he wanted to be a member, and he is taking all the new members' courses. And so uh, with that in mind, Nita or somebody who has a camera, I'd love you to do it. I'd like to bring up Mr. Terhan Terrell. Turhan travels a bunch on the road as a professional musician, but when he's here, he is serving this church, and he's serving it in many ways, many of which cannot be seen uh, with the naked eye, but I guarantee you they can be heard. He's been a blessing to, to our church, and so <laughs> he doesn't like to be put on the spot. Uh, but as a member, I'm going to take you in as a member today at our church. Um, you've finished all the things. We've talked about all these things. Uh, and membership is something not to be taken lightly. Membership is something that says, number one, I belong and I wish to grow. Uh, I wish to be held accountable. I wish to have fellowship. I wish to have growth. I don't want to just be a spectator. I want to participate. Uh, and Turhan has been participating for quite a long time already. So this is almost a foregone conclusion. And I am going to ask you, Turhan uh, Terrell, will you sincerely promise in the presence of God and these witnesses that you will accept the Bible as the word of God, believe and practice its teachings rightly divided, the New Testament as your rule of faith, practice government and discipline, and walk in the light to the best of your ability. Been doing it this long, can't stop doing it. There you go. So, Turhan, I'd like to say welcome 
uh, to the Church of God of Prophecy. Welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, you're already family. So if you could stand and give him a hand. <laughs> this is a certificate to kind of signify and, and let you know that you're part of our family this day uh, and that you're a member and you belong. This is your family and your eyes. Thank you. uh, all right, God bless you guys. And we'll get ready to get standing and get going. How many of you are ready to bless the name of God today? Praise team, come on up. It's a beautiful day today. raise our hands to the Lord this morning in, in prayer. Amen. Lord, Heavenly Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. You are wonderful and holy. And God, help us, Lord, to focus our attention upon you. You are the one, oh Lord, that needs to be worshipped. You are the one that created the way of salvation for us all. And Lord, we appreciate that. And help us, Lord, to reflect that, Lord, and give you the praise that is due unto your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.
presence and in his grace. Come on and give him glory just for a few seconds. If you have breath in your body, it's on loan from God. Can you just lift your hands and give a wave offering and say, Lord, I love you. I thank you for your goodness. Hallelujah. I thank you for your mercies and your kindness. Hallelujah. Let us go to God in prayer. God, we thank you. God, our Father, who is the creator and the maker of all things, God, we come to you, our sovereign Lord, and we say thank you. Thank you that you've given us breath in our bodies, food on our tables, clothes on our back, God. Thank you that you have given us life in our very bodies, so God, that we can experience a new day that you have given, God. And we won't waste this opportunity, God. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds and our souls and spirits that we be able to hear what you are saying to us, God. Help us to be alert. Help us to be focused. Help us to interact with one another. To be able to give you glory and to learn your word. Lord God, to, to ultimately give you the praise and the glory in our lives. Be pleased with us. Oh God, our Father, we give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise in the building. Hallelujah. online we have the ability when people can't make it or they're under the weather they can still still worship with us and we have quite a few people who've been under the weather uh pray for sister stella uh she needs your prayers as well and so we have quite a few people out but thanks to digital media uh we're actually able to bless people all around and we're grateful for that and for all the things that are coming there's some good things coming down the pipe what is this year this is what's what's our word for this year everybody say what expectation can we say that loudly expectation no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him uh, if we could stand for the reading of the word of our Lord we are in a sermon series called authentic church learning what it means to be the authentic church and today we're going into a second installment of last week's sermon authentic love uh, it was so deep and we got in so deep uh, I couldn't finish it. I looked at halfway through and I said, there's no way I can finish all this. So we're going in deep. I, I, I love it that we can go deep into the word of God, that we have scholars here, people that love Jesus and that you'll go home and study. And we don't have to just stay at the surface, but we can go deep into the word of God. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verses one through 14. We'll read them together as they have them on the screen as, as our custom. What does it say? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Mm. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, not just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I want to talk to you from the topic this morning, the DNA of love. Lord, speak your servants, listen, and we'll be careful to give you praise in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. I feel your presence in the place, God. How many of you know that Christ is Lord? It's such a pleasure to be in front of you again today. Somebody started last week and last Sunday and they didn't make it till today. And so I don't take it for granted that God has allowed breath in my bodies and space and place to be able to bring you the word of God. And I, I thank God for each one of you. And as we've been talking about authentic love, we use that word authentic all the way throughout our sermon series. The word authentic, if you have not heard me say it, I'm going to say it until you get tired of hearing it. It means simply of undisputed origin. In other words, when people see us, there should be no question where we come from and whose we belong to. In a day where there are many things that people can follow on Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, uh, every, every other place, there's somebody. If you have a platform, you can say whatever you want to say, and many people do not fact check those things. So it is becoming ever more increasingly difficult for people to find out what's true and what's real. But God has given us some things to let us know where his real and true church is. God is coming back. When I was down in Mississippi, I would often hear the pastor say, God is coming back for a church where without spot nor blemish. And it is important for us in these days, as, as the days are ever presently evil, for us to know what the church looks like and what we should look like. And we talked about last week, we talked about agape. Everybody say agape. Guys, you can pull it up on the screen if you, if you have, it, have it for us. It's on the screen, and it says this, 
to mean to actively doing what the Lord prefers. I love that. Agape is a type of love that is unconditional. It is not predicated on conditions. In other words, I don't treat you based off of how you treat me. We follow the word agape, agape love. That's the word we get when we say for God so loved the world. But I love the definition down beneath. I don't know if they put it down there. It says actively doing what the Lord prefers. In other words, my choice and my selections are done not based off of my will, but off of the will of creator God, uh, of God our Father, that I am no longer my own. I am bought with a price. So when I love, I act based off of what God prefers. And that's what we are to do. And, and Jesus goes even so far as to say, you've had all of the Ten Commandments that we left you in Exodus chapter 20. But he says this, he says, a new commandment that I give to you uh, that you love one another as I love you. In other words, I am giving you a new modus operandi. I am giving you a set of instructions. I am giving you a new constitution. I am giving you a new law in which all of the previous laws are summed up. And in one way, the Bible says on this hang the law and the prophets. In other words, everything that's in Exodus chapter 20 is built off of these two foundational principles. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, and all thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, I'm not going to go way back into it because we went real deep into that, and we talked about soul and spirit and breath and, and what God really meant. If you want to grab that, you're welcome to grab it on the podcast, or you're welcome to grab it on one of, one of our outreach out, uh uh, media platforms, you're welcome to do that. But today, I want to talk to you about the DNA of love because this is what I want you to know. The first power principle, as they pull it up on the screen, it's from last week, and I want you to remember that. It says this, and you can say it with me if they have it up there. It's about agape love. It says, agape love, genuinely expressed, is the stamp of authenticity of the believer. In other words, put that in plain English, Pastor. They know whether or not you belong to God by how you treat one another. Jesus puts it this way, and by this all men shall know that you are my disciples by the love that you have, what? One for another. He's saying by this all men will know that you belong to me. I can see how you treat your neighbor. I can see how you treat your husband. I can see how you treat your wife. I can see how you treat the people that you don't need mostly because that's where you find true love. You will treat people nice when you're getting something from them, but will you treat them right when you don't need anything and there's no benefit to doing anything for them. How do you treat the waitress? How do you treat the person at the store? How do you treat the employee that's a minimum wage worker that you are higher up and you might not need necessarily? That's how they know that you're my disciple, how you show love. But as we get into the DNA of love, we need to know that as Christians, we operate differently than the world does. We have received the new birth. Everybody say new birth. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In other words, that whatever you were born with, when you give your life to Christ, you can erase it. There's no more saying, well, that's just how I am. That's just the trauma I grew up with. And so I am this way and excusing it. No, God has given you not just the power of salvation. He has given you the power 
power to change. He's given you the power for living. He's given you the power to be more than a conqueror. And as Christians, we need to act and operate differently than the world does. One way you should be able to notice the authentic church is that the authentic church looks a lot different than the world. I am not speaking about clothing. I am not speaking about how we present things on the stage. I am speaking about how we interact with one another, how we treat one another, how we reverence God. The second Corinthians five and 17 basically declares this, that we are under new management. Somebody say I'm under new management. There's a store not too far from here. I won't, I won't say which store it is, but I remember going into that store, and, the, and, and all of a sudden I re- realized that it wasn't too pleasant, and, and, and people didn't really take care of the store that much, and it wasn't the nicest to go in. But one day I went back to the store, and the outside was painted brightly, Brother Ernie. And Pastor Ernie, when I went in, I went inside, and the inside was painted. And I noticed something that it's good that the outside was done, but when I went inside, it was hardly recognized recognizable and that when I used to go in the store the employees weren't very excited they weren't happy to be there they wore whatever they wanted to wear they acted however they wanted to act but when I went in I saw a whole new crew of people on the inside Victor and when I saw this crew they had on uniforms signifying that I belong to a new company. I belong to new management. Their language had changed. There was no more going up to the counter and waiting for the person to stop looking in their phone on TikTok to decide to ask me what I wanted for my order or whatever the case may be. They were saying, can I help you today? Things had changed. Their culture had shifted. The things that they did had shifted. And I wondered why. I said, man, this guy's got it really together. But a few days later, there was a sign out front and you know what it said? Under new management. (laughs) In other words, we're the same building, but on the inside, we are different. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. When you're under new management, your language changes. When you're under new management, you realize that you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are the lender and not the borrower. Therefore, you act differently. There are certain behaviors that you don't fancy anymore. Why? Because you are under new management. And Christ is calling us under new management. Jesus tells you a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. And as we get into the meat of our message this morning, I remember as a child in Mississippi, there was a place called the Petrified Forest. It was in Flora, Mississippi, Terhun. And when I was a little child, they would take us on field trips and we would go and we would see petrified wood and stone and things that had been there for a long time and it had petrified. But what struck me most about the Petrified Forest was not all of the foliage on the outside. As a kid, it's when you get to the gift store. When you get to the gift store, you run in, and I want you to pull up that first screen on the uh, uh, pyrite on the screen. When I went in, I went in there, and they had all sorts of minerals and stones, Sister Barbara, and I I liked all those minerals and those stones, and they were nice looking, and and when they pull it up on the screen, you'll be able to see uh, an object of what I saw. And when I saw it as a kid, I was excited because it looked just like gold. And I was excited. I said, man, this is gold, and it's even cheap enough for a kid to afford. I could not figure out why the gold was cheap enough for a kid to afford, but I said, I'm going to spend a few, uh, Sister Pat, I'm going to spend a few dollars, and I'm going to be rich. 
<laughs> That's what I thought when I was a child. But what I did not know is that it was not gold. It was a substance called pyrite. It was a sulfide type of mineral that was made in really iron, and it was called fool's gold. The reason it was called fool's gold is because in 1849, when you had the 49ers in San Francisco going to look for gold, there were many men that were upset because they had grabbed something and thought they were rich just to get back and realize that what they had wasn't even real at all. It gives the appearance of gold to the novice. However, it's quite common and therefore not as nearly as valuable as gold. It has some uses, but nobody is knocking down the door to steal your pyrite. <laughs> but, the, but to those who do not know how to spot the real thing, they could end up with something that looks good on the surface, but is actually worthless. Oh, I'm going somewhere today. See, in today's culture, we have a similar issue. The world has been inundated with this thing called lust. Lust is an over, uh, an over aggressive passion for something. and The world has been inundated with it and it decides to take what it wants and what makes it happy and what makes it feel good. And it, they have traded it and many people are walking around in lust and calling it love. <laughs> so there are many people who are found in today's terms fool's gold. <laughs> they think I'll go to a church that loves me and tells me that I can live any kind of way I want and still go to heaven. That's fool's gold. <laughs> they think I can live in a world that says I want to live any kind of way I want and there's no consequences. That's fool's gold. If you love me, you'll just tell me I'm the best thing since sliced bread and you will affirm every decision I like. And that's fool's goal. As a matter of fact, in our culture today, we have made a significant slogan. If you go around on some of the churches, we'll say love is love. But the true meaning of that phrase that they give really is love is lust. Hmm. In today's culture, we deal with these things, and if we're not familiar with what true love looks like, we can live our lives in a mind full of worthless material. It's important for the believer to know the difference and what we need from God and what God has created and what the world calls love. Many a person's life has been shipwrecked because they did not know the difference between love and lust. <laughs> You thought you were in love, but you were really in lust. And when you said, I do, you realize quickly, I don't. <laughs> because lust grabs you, but it takes love to keep you. Many people saw big houses, and they would give offerings back in the day. Liz, why? Because they thought they could give to get, and they walk around houses, and, and they, they would say they were in love with God, but really they were in lust. They were loving God for what he could give them, and they thought they wanted that house until they got the house note and realized that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and it adds no sorrow to it. But when they became sorrowful, they realized that their behavior was not out of love, but it was out of lust. Hmm. Y'all still with me today? <laughs> See, if we're required to love, then we should know what true love really is. 
We should know the DNA of love. I could give you a quick definition. The Bible says that God is love. So if you learn the nature and character of God, you will automatically know what love is. But Paul is speaking this morning to a church that is nestled within an immoral culture where prostitution and sexual promiscuity and idol worship have begun. He is talking and sending a message to the church at Corinth. And this is not the first time Paul has interacted with the people at Corinth. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he actually mentions in chapter 1 uh, about the previous letter that he'd written to them. And obviously they had asked Paul some questions. And so Paul wants to give a response to the questions in which they are asking. And they are in a culture where they have idol worship and they have what you call temple prostitutes where people go to serve God, but they serve God in a debauched and dirty way. This is a, an immoral culture where people do all sorts of things because Corinth is much like America in the fact that it has two seas on each side and it has a, a, a seafaring trade and people have to go over this isthmus to get to the other sea. So it is a very diverse culture. It is a culture, culture full of all sorts of people, all sorts of languages and all sorts of sin. He is trying to teach true love to a church that is surrounded by lust and passions of the culture. This church is trying to navigate in a culture where love is never really truly modeled. Hmm. A church operating in a perverse culture that feeds mankind's selfish desires and inclinations, where everyone only gives to get and people are enamored with idols. You've never heard of a place like that, have you? <laughs> never heard of a country like that. Well, we idolize fame so much we even make shows called American Idol. A country where lust prevails and perversion is decided to be told that it's normal. You've never seen a culture like that, have you? You ever lived a place like that, Terhan? <laughs> In today's terms, we would call that place America. So we can easily transpose the fact of what Paul is talking to the Corinthians about because whatever it meant to the people of that day, it should mean to us. And we as Americans should be able to truly know that there are many things that people worship and many things that people call love that are not really love. So he wants to tell them what love is, and he's covered all sorts of issues. As you go back through Corinthians 1 through 12, he's talked about order and worship and other things and different roles, but he's getting ready to talk about spiritual gifts, and there's a problem with them giving spiritual gifts because God has gifted them spiritually, but they don't administrate them properly because they use their gifts to make themselves look holier. They use them, their gifts to make themselves look more righteous, and that's why Paul says, if I speak, with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am as a sounding cymbal, as tingling brass. In other words, that I need to have the right ingredient. And as Paul instructs the church of Corinth, he is letting them know an important thing. Pull up that power principle for me. It says why you do. I want us to read that together. If they don't have it up there, you can read it later. But it simply says this. Everybody repeat after me. Why you do matters just as much as what you do. In a few days, 
We're going to have the opposite of Sweetest Day in Michigan. And millions of people are going to go around and they're going to get candy and, and they're going to get all sorts of things and they're going to plan dinners and all sorts of things and they're going to do it in the name of love. But let's be honest, most people who are giving the candy are looking for something in return. And why you do matters just as much as what you do. See, when you give to love, you give and you don't look for anything in return. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> when believers walk in love, their behavior is notable, and it's a notable contrast to cultural norms, what we would call in the Bible the world. If they could pull up that picture for St. Dionysus, I want you to hear something of one of the early church bishops. St. Dionysus was an African. He was born in Egypt, a place called Alexandria, which is the center of knowledge. And here this bishop studied under a well-known first-century Christian person, a second-century Christian person called Origen. And he didn't start as a Christian. He actually set out to determine that Christianity was not real and, in, and, and try to find false heresies. And when he did, he just became closer and closer to Christ. Why? Because he was looking for the truth and he found it. And he became the Bishop of Alexandria. But the reason I'm talking about him this morning is because he wrote something that we need to pay attention to because this is close to the time of Christ. It's about 260 A.D. It is not only a couple of hundred years after Christ has left. So you can tell that Christians during that time, you can see how they lived. And I'm going to read this. I got this from an article. It says St. Dionysus the Great uh, was a pope or bishop of Alexandria. And during that time... They suffered a horrible persecution, and just as it, and just as that was dying down, an epidemic sound familiar? Pandemic falls forth, and as that happens, it broke out in the city. And, and as enemies were approaching, Saint Dionysus describes the epidemic and the church's response to the epidemic in a letter to some of the flock that were in Alexandria. He's talking to them, telling them how they behave, so we can see how earlier Christians even behave. And this is what he writes, and I quote. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. Let me interpret that for you, that they died helping other people. They knew people were sick, but they helped them anyway, and in doing so, they lost their life. For they were infected by others with disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead, turning the common formula that is normally an empty courtesy into reality. Your humble servants bid you goodbye. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning high commendation so that death in this form, the result of a great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. With willing hands, they raised the bodies of the saints to their bosoms. They closed their eyes and mouths and carried them on their shoulders, and they laid them out. They clung to them, embraced them, washed them, and wrapped them in grave clothes. And very soon, the same services were done for them. Since those left behind were constantly following those gone. 
four. But I want you to see the contrast. He contrasts the regular world and the heathen. He says the heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At first, the, at the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into roads, quarantine. Before they were dead and treating them unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like 2020? Does that sound like a church that doesn't run from danger but runs to danger? Do you not know that every pandemic and every epidemic that's ever happened, one of them uh, that's happened in modern recorded history, that the church has been the one that has served and risked their lives to help and save other people. But we have gotten so backwards from what true love is that when the pandemic comes out, the church shuts the door to save itself. If you can't say amen. <laughs> How different a church it is today from the churches of yesteryear where people who were close to the gospel and close to apostolic fathers who and apostolic fathers are simply a name for people who were trained by Peter and Paul and all those other people who were close to the gospel of people who walked with Jesus. Those people took no thought for their own lives. They took no thought for their own safety. They did what was right even if they had to pay the price. I'm, what I'm letting you know is that a true church is a church that does what's right even if it has to pay the price. It is not seeking its own good but it is Seeking the good of others. How do you know this? Because my father told me this. Jesus said, for the son of man came not but to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The authentic church is not sitting up with a bunch of smart people in a room trying to pontificate how they can manage disease. The real church is saying, give me some gloves so I can go serve. Let me go to the fire. If I lose my life but Christ is glorified, I lose my life because it is not my own. It is the antithesis of modern day thought. It is the antithesis of modern day reasoning and logic because Jesus says this, the Bible says, he that loves his life will what? Lose it. But he who loses and lays down his life for my sake will find it. True love is selfless. True love gives itself for others. That's why he said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I heard one of the writers say, what good would it do for me to tell a brother that was hungry just be full? No, feed him. Tell him about Jesus but feed him too. Treat him how Christ would treat him. When you come to church, your mindset should never be in what the church could do for me, but what I could do for the church, where God has called me to. Your thought process, hallelujah, should never be whether or not they have a children's ministry and a married couple's ministry to meet my needs or whether or not they have the things that I need to check my boxes. No, it should be God. Where is the void that you're calling me to fill and the place that you're calling me to so that I can be the hands and feet of Christ on earth? 
But with our westernized thought, we thought that church and God is consumeristic and we go to big edifices and places that have the best praise teams and have the best music. Nothing wrong with that. But most of us do that so we can hide in the crowd and we can sit fat, fine and satisfied. But that is not the authentic church. The authentic church is not coming to sit. The authentic church is coming to serve because it is based off of love. Oh, Jesus. Is this helping anybody? (laughs) He says, though I have the gift of prophecy and you see me on TBN or, or the Word Network, if I can understand all those mysteries, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, look at this, verse 3, and I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You are not saved by doing good things. You can do all the good things you want, and people can remember you for all the good things you do, but that will not get you into heaven. You are not saved by works. Only by grace through faith in Christ Jesus is a man saved, is a woman saved. Do the good thing, but always remember why you do matters just as much as what you do. What's your... Motivation. Love suffers long. I remember talking to Howie McLaughlin one day, and he said, Pastor, he would often just show up at the house. <laughs> he said, Pastor, you busy? Where are you at, Howie? I'm at the end of the street. I'm not busy now, Howie. Come on over. <laughs> and he would come, and he said, Pastor, you know why I give so much? I said, why? He says, because I watched my mama give all these years, and she's always been a giver. And every time you turn around, she's always giving to something. And I'm going to give, and I want to make, I want to do the help people, and that's what I want to do because she was always generous. And I watched that, and I picked that up. You'd be surprised what your kids will pick up for you. And, and sometimes I'd just be sitting, and all of a sudden I hear, hey, Pastor, you want to help some people? Yeah, what's that? And this, this uh, peanut butter color, color type vehicle will show up with a, with a convertible, and we'd end up on somebody's roof with fresh fruits and vegetables to hand out to people. And he'd be like, oh, we got plenty of stuff to help people, and we get back, and I say, Robin, where are we going to do with all this stuff? How are we going to get this to people? But we found places. His heart was to help. And though many people come to church more than Howard, many people in the church could learn something from Howard. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when I come to the church, I don't look for a pastor that preaches what I want to hear. I look for a pastor that's going to tell me the unadulterated word of the God, whether it makes me happy or not, because I want to be my best for the kingdom of God. Amen. I haven't even got to the first verse, brother Dave, my goodness. <laughs> The first thing it says, and I chose the New King James because sometimes it says love is patient, but that's not what it actually means in the Greek. Everybody said love suffers long. Love Love suffers long. You can pull that first word up for me. Love suffers long. It's called makroth umeo. Makroth umeo means that I suffer long and I have patience and I am forbearing. I have perseverance. But I like the way one word study put it, I defer my anger. Mm. Oh, Jesus, wouldn't that save a lot of of relationships? 
if we learn to defer our anger and not, not act on how we felt, that's what the DNA of love is. You can't say you love God, but you cussing out your wife or cussing out your husband. You can't do it. They don't go together. Because Jesus said this, just in case somebody thought that they could slip on by. He said, how can you say that you love me whom you've never seen and hate your neighbor whom you see every day? He says, you lie and do not the truth. I didn't call you a liar. You're going to take that up with the author. <laughs> but he says, I choose to defer my anger. If you really love your spouse, it's not about all the ooey-gooey and the arrows and the feelings. When you choose to love your spouse and when your spouse has done something that has made you angry to the hilt and you're about to explode and you choose not to act. It's when that person cuts you off on 696 <laughs> and you say, God bless you, and all your fingers are up when you wave your hand. <laughs> That's love. Somebody just caught it. <laughs> Authentic love manifests and is demonstrated through deliberate patience. We might not get past the first one because I asked you a question. How patient are you with people around you? Mm. Pastor, I just don't have patience. Well, then you don't have love. Because love is patient. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Is this helping anybody? <laughs> Authentic love, I'm going to say it again, manifests and is demonstrated through deliberate patience. Pull up Proverbs chapter 16, verses 32. Proverbs 16, verse 32. It is very wise. If you pull that up, Proverbs 16, 32. I want us to read that together. They're working on, they're working on it in the back. Proverbs 16 and 32. Here it is. Let's read it together. What does it say? He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now, I'm going to look at that first word, rules. Pull up that word, rules, guys. It's mashal. That's what it is in the Hebrew, and it means to rule or have dominion over. That's what mashal means. And the word spirit, we hear that. It says, and man breathed, God breathed into man. His, his ruach is his spirit. But one of the interpretations can be, it can be anger. In other words, he who controls his anger is stronger than he that's of a mighty city. It, it takes more of a man to walk away from a fight than it does to engage in one. It takes more of an adult to walk away knowing that you just lost the argument instead of trying to get the last word. But we don't want to be riding down the street. You ever been riding down the street and you playing back an argument in your head that you had and all of a sudden you think of all the good stuff that you could have said and you really want to start another argument because this is what I really should have told them right here. Anybody ever done that? But when you love, you control your spirit. In other words, there are, what is it? No, there are no Flip Wilsons in the church. The devil didn't make you do it, and yes, you could help yourself. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. Because the Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, that's not what I intended to say. Why? Because the heart is wickedly deceitful, and no man can know it. Sometimes you don't even know what's down on the inside of your heart. And what comes out of your mouth will shock you. 
You ever thought you were over something somebody did to you and you saw them in Walmart? <laughs> and you started seeing red, but you didn't have any red shades on? Or did they try to come speak to you and you shot down another aisle just to pretend like you didn't see them and you know you saw them? You ever done that? It's getting quiet. I'm going to leave y'all alone. <laughs> but we need to learn how to love. Number two, I'm only going to get to the second one. Pull up the power principle for me. I only have a few minutes left. Thank you guys for that clock. Keep going. Go to the one that says love is expressed. I want, that's the last power principle. What does it say? Love is expressed when we go out of the way to serve. It takes you tired and you do something for your spouse that real love is expressed. Sometimes we Just because you did something that was slightly inconvenient, that does not mean it was a sacrifice. One time David was going to do something for the Lord, and he wouldn't do it. He, he, he didn't give what was given to him. He paid for, for what he needed for, for, so he could offer to God. And why, they asked him why. He said, because I won't bring anything to the Lord that didn't cost me anything. Nobody wants a gift that nobody thought about. It ends up getting re-gifted, in case you didn't know. It might even get re-gifted back to you by mistake. <laughs> so why would you give God a gift half-heartedly? Why would you only give him half of you? Why would you give him your church attendance but not give him your wallet? Why would you give him your wallet but not give him your time? Why would you give him time at church but no time in devotional and prayer? I think I might. <laughs> Why would you raise your hands and worship, but you won't lead your family to Christ? Because they are a part of you. And if you come into Jesus, he requires not part, but all of you. He, retire, he requires complete and total surrender. And you don't have to. We had this conversation for about an hour or two after church the other day. He doesn't require that you turn off your brain either. We talked about that in the service. You can be intellectual and still serve God because if you are truly intellectual, one thing you will know is that there has to be a creator. Even um, the theory of relativity, energy equals mass times constant square, that was created by Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein himself said there is no way to look at creation and not determine that there is a creator somewhere because the universe is constantly expanding. Even Charles Darwin, who most people use his theories of evolution to try to prove evolution. Do you know he later became a Christian and disavowed the book that he wrote itself? Look it up. Because the most, more you search for the truth, the more you find God. Amen. Love is kind. That's what we're stopping today. Love is kind and full of service to others. Love is expressed when we go out of the way to serve. How would our marriages improve if we went out of our way to serve the other? How many fights have been started on where you want to eat? I don't know. Wherever you want to go. Okay, I want to go here. I don't want to go there, but you just asked me where you want to go eat. And before you know it, everybody, you ever been in one of those in the car? <laughs> Every married couple's been that way. Well, what did you ask me to go to eat for? If you didn't want to know where you want to go, well, I just don't want to go there. Well, pick somewhere else. Okay, well, I'll go here. I don't want to go there either. What do you 
won't. Instead of saying, whatever you need, I'm not even feeling this today, but I'll go there for you. Because this is a principle that we've forgotten in the Bible. Be ye not deceived. A man, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you want somebody to understand you, you need to work to understand them. If you want somebody to do something for you that they don't want to do, you need to learn to do things for them that you don't want to do. You reap what you sow. Boy, Jesus, y'all with me this morning. And as we get ready to go, love is not jealous. It does not celebrate. It celebrates the successes of others. We should make it our goal to celebrate others' achievements. That's as far as I'm going today. We don't have to finish the rest later. But this is something I need you to know. If people really love you, they will celebrate you. This is the thing that I've learned the most, Bruce. I don't look at the loudness of my enemies. I look at the silence of my friends. Repeat that again. I don't look at the loudness of my enemies, sir. I look at the silence of my friend. When something good happens to me, I want to see how you respond. When you start a business, do they say, how's your little business going? Why's the little business? (laughs) When you go back to school, do they say, you still back in school already? (laughs) You can learn a lot from the silence of your friends on who really loves you? Or do they encourage you and say, look, I know you're starting back school at 50. It seems late, but I'm encouraging you, and I'm glad you remember that the journey to a 1,000 miles starts with the first step. I know you had a bad relationship, a bad breakup, or a bad divorce, but I commend you for getting back on the horse and finding somebody that was godly to move on with with your life. I know you messed up and you've been in prison, but I commend you because you've gotten out of prison and you're doing something else with your life. We just sent out a couple of gentlemen the other day that when they came in, they had ankle bracelets, and when they left, they didn't, and we celebrated them. Why? Because they're getting a new lease on life, and they don't have to have what their past held against them. Love encourages. They're probably watching us, and guys, if you're watching me, Pastor loves you, and I'm so proud of you. You could have used your, your, your situation as an excuse, but every Sunday they sat there and served the Lord. Some people, when they get a car, that's the first thing they do. They forget to get the way to come to church. They can only get there if they ride with somebody else. They got cars, and I had to go out of town, and one of them was taking a picture with his car in the parking lot before anybody else got there. Why? Because his heart was to serve God, and why you do matters just as much as what you do. When I surveyed the DNA of love, does it match mine? DNA means deoxyribonucleic acid. It's polypeptides. It's a, it's a chain. It's a, it's a map God put in, in us to tell us how, if our eyes would be blue, if we're going to be tall, or we're going to be short. I lost that lottery. He, it, all those things. But it tells you who you're going to become by looking simply at your DNA. And if we look at the DNA of love, we should know what every Christian looks like. Now, as we finish today get ready for baptism this altar is open if you need prayer you can come if you want to stand in the gap 
you can pray. If somebody was, one of my ladies was standing in the gap for Sister Stella, uh, she needs it. And for Ralph, God's done good with Ralph and, and uh, other things if you're standing in the gap. But right where you are, if you just want to worship, if God's putting something on your heart, you can walk this way. If you want our prayer team, come on, Pastor Ernie and Robin and Brother Dave, they'll be here with you. Some of them are missing, but a lot of them are here today. Or if you just want to come to the altar, bypass the people, you don't do the people thing, and you just want to get on your knees yourself and pray to God. The time is now. We'll give you a few minutes. If you're not saved, if you're not sure of your eternal salvation, if you don't know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord, it doesn't matter how old you are, how accomplished you are, you need to know today. You can today. If you need restoration, if you need hope, this is the place for you today. God wants you. Do you want God? sins are forgiven.